Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hello there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to episode 11 of the Real Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I'm so excited to have you with me today. We are talking today about one of my favorite movies, and this won't surprise anyone who's listened to other episodes and knows I'm a giant Disney nerd with a five-year-old. It's Moana, and our guest today is Kathleen Borealis, who's one of my favorite witches and one of my favorite scientists. She's the host of the Borealis Meditations podcast, where she talks about the intersection of science and paganism. It's sort of geology and science for pagans. It's a really great podcast. But Kathleen is herself from Hawaii and is here to talk about volcanoes and crystals and Moana and all the great things. Now, while both Kathleen and I are versed in some Polynesian mythology and Kathleen lived in Hawaii for a while. Neither of us is native Hawaiian or Polynesian. So that is our disclaimer for this episode. If there's a listener out there who is native Hawaiian, Polynesian, from Oceania, who wants to talk about Moana, please email me at realmagicpod at gmail.com. I want to talk about all of our movies, the ones we've talked about, and ones we could talk about in the future from all perspectives. So I want to get guests on here to bring intersectional perspective to everything. I'm looking for people who want to talk about WandaVision on Disney+, Plus, who know about comics. I'm looking for people who want to talk about my newest favorite show on the CW, Trickster, which has a North Pacific Northwest indigenous storyline about Raven and has indigenous witchcraft and a witch character. But even though I live in the Pacific Northwest, I am not an indigenous person and I want someone who wants to talk about that mythology and magical and spiritual practices. So really, if you want to get on and have a cool discussion about your favorite witchy movies, just email me. Again, it's realmagicpod at gmail.com. But for now, let's get on with our discussion with Kathleen. It was so much fun to talk with her. And to those of you who will email me soon in the future and who are listening now, I just want to say thank you. So what can I say except you're welcome For the islands I pull from the sea There's no need to pray, it's okay, you're welcome ha. I guess it's just my way of being me You're welcome, you're welcome Welcome to think of it so Kathleen Borealis, welcome to the Real Magic Podcast, talking about Moana. I'm so excited. So before we get into the, you know, movies part of this, I want to talk some about you. First off, the thing I like to ask my guests, you know, to break the ice is what was your favorite magical movie or show growing up that kind of helped you believe in magic? That's a really tough question. Um, 
So I was a PBS kid. So I basically only watched PBS for a very long time. So most of my magical things I watched were Disney movies. So um, I loved Sleeping Beauty. Just That's my favorite. The music is amazing. The animation style is amazing. I absolutely love that one. I love Sleeping Beauty. Um, I think we're going to have an episode about it soonish, fingers crossed. And I just love the animation style. Like the woman who came up with all that concept art, her name is Mary Blair, and she influenced so much of like this Disney iconography. Like she designed It's a Small World, too. And yeah. I just love everything about that movie. Yeah. And the music. Oh, my God. I mean, I grew up in a classical music household. So like, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Ah, Tchaikovsky. Oh, oh, my poor, my poor tortured gay composer. (laughs) So you identify as both a scientist and a witch. So how does that, which came first? Did being a magical witchy person make you more interested in science and the natural world? Or is it just like a parallel track? Or is there any, you know, coming together of those interests? (laughs) Yeah, so I I would say that the witchy came first um, for basically growing up my from like middle school and high school. I was the witchy kid who was also a musician. Um, but through being witchy, I got really interested in the natural world. I wanted to learn more about the world around me. And so I went into college. I took environmental science and geology and then got very distracted and just kept chasing the interesting shiny things and ended up now I'm a professional geologist. So I am a professional scientist as well as a witch. You you are the Moana of witchy science. You want to see how far you will go. Yeah. Horizon kept calling to you. <laughs> and so we're here to talk about Moana and we're talking about it in terms of, you know, that it's a great great movie that it's a pretty pagan movie but it's also a movie about magic rocks yes yeah and so it would be perfect to talk to a geologist slash witch about so what's your personal connection to Moana so I through being a geologist I've of course lived in a bunch of different places and um while I'm not there right now um I moved to Hawaii in um 2011 and I lived there for four years. And even though I'm an expat now, uh, I still consider it home. Um, and I actually feel like I became an expat when I moved to Hawaii. <laughs> so while I didn't grow up in Hawaii and I'm not Hawaiian, um, I, it is a very big influence on me as well. It is such a magical place. And, you know, I know we say that a lot about a lot of places, but Hawaii is one of my favorite places yeah. in the world. And it is a place where I, you know, feel so connected both to like the natural world and the universe. Like being on the big island and looking up at the sky, I feel like I'm like on the fingertip of a goddess, like I'm on Tefiti's yeah. hand. And that's how. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. So, what what okay. island were you on? Oh, a big island. Big island, Mobeta. Big island all the way. Were you in Hilo? Like so you could be close to the volcanoes or? Um, so I actually lived in Kona. Um, I was working in a research lab, but then also living and working on a coffee farm at the same time. So we were managers for a Kona coffee farm. um, And then I also did uh, worked for the university. Nice. That's nice. 
Oh, and I'm really missing Hawaii. I know. My friend has this great quote about Moana. She said she watched it in Hilo and it made her homesick for Hawaii in Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) We've been lucky enough to be there with my little girl who is uh, five and she has seen Moana a bazillion times. And like every time we saw like a hula girl like on, you know, a bottle of water, she'd be like, it's a Moana. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone was Moana when she was there. She hasn't, we haven't been there since she was, last time we were there, she was three. So hopefully we'll get back soon, but who knows? Yeah. So when did you first see Moana? So I saw Moana in the theaters um, when it came out and it was actually right before I went home to Hawaii for two weeks. So I was super, super homesick and I basically bawled the entire time. And uh, it has pretty much the same effect on me now when I'm homesick is that I watch it and like it starts and I'm in tears. <laughs> yeah. It's a, one of those crying movies like yeah. uh, Moana Coco is the other one that makes me ball frozen Two like gets me, but like Moana is one of those, like, it's okay. I want to cry. I'm going to watch Moana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't see it until like a year or two after it had come out because when it came out I had my child was very little and so I couldn't take her to a movie theater I kind of waited and was finally available like it was one of the first movies we really like watched together and she just became obsessed and so did I and so I just remember watching you know the scene that for me is like my favorite scene is with Moana and her grandmother's spirit um the I am Moana moment and I'm just like holding my little girl just like sobbing like I'll always be with you (laughs) yeah that's that scene is pretty amazing so Moana is a really interesting movie because you know we're you know this podcast is about paganism and magic in movies and Moana wouldn't automatically be one you would think about because it's it's not about a witch but it is about a culture that is non-Christian and has a you know religion with it's a polytheistic religion and we have gods and demigods as characters and we also have the elements in nature as characters so let's talk about you know we really can't talk about whether or not it's an accurate portrayal of polynesian culture because neither of us are polynesian (laughs) spoiler yeah i mean it has it's very influenced but it's not yeah a specific culture and I would say, I think, I think my understanding is that they tried to kind of um, make it more pan-Polynesian as opposed yeah. to like one specific culture within Polynesia. Because of course, Polynesia is this really huge area um, mm-hmm. and it's also tied into these other kind of, like the, the giant group you would call it would be the Australnesian. So this goes from all the way from Madagascar up to um, Taiwan and incorporates, you know, Papua New Guinea and then all of what we think of as Polynesia as well. So that's kind of these groups of um, cultures that are similar and they have this shared history of migration. So it, I would say that there are elements that I can tell are from somewhere else. And there's mm-hmm. elements that remind me a lot of Hawaii. Um, but there is a lot of, you know, they did take a lot. I know that they, they spent a lot of time kind of working with the communities and kind of making sure that things, you know, there's lots of little details that I picked up on that, you know, I'm like, ah, I know what that is. So I think they did a really good job of making it feel kind of pan Polynesian without like picking a specific culture within Polynesia. 
it's Polynesian the same way Frozen is Scandinavian. Yeah. It is yeah. this, you know, magical, you know, created place that takes all these influences. And I think Disney has, you know, since Moana and Frozen and especially, you know, going forward, they've made a much more, a much better effort at wow. bringing in people from those actual cultures and taking those yeah. trips and really getting into that. So I think it's a you know. I'd say the voice actress for Moana is Hawaiian. She's from mm-hmm. Hawaii. Um, and The Rock is Polynesian. Yeah. So you also have, you know, the two, I would say the main characters are from that culture as well, which I think makes it really special and yeah. adds a little bits of things here and there. My absolute favorite is the Chihu. So if, I don't know if you noticed this, but Maui always goes, Chihu! Yeah. <laughs> when he jumps. And that is something that like my friends in Hawaii, they do all the time. And I have these great memories of, you know, like when you, when you go to like a, a performance and someone just really good, you like chihu at them. And we definitely at one point were at a hotel and they had the, um, the, um, like the, the cultural thing down below and they had all the dancers and everything and people were politely clapping and we were up on the balcony chihuing like at the top of our lungs and we were like, nice. I'm going to get kicked out of this hotel. <laughs> Yeah, I love um, I love that they have like the haka, you know, referenced yeah. many times with Maui that like they do it in a kind of a fun way and you're welcome. And then he does it more formally when he's about to fight Taka. And that is something that I know The Rock brought with him. Or, But yeah, it's, very, it's a beautiful like pan-Polynesian. Um, one of my favorite places in Hawaii, this is a tangent, is like the Polynesian Cultural Center, even though it is part of the Mormon like university there it's such a fun if you're in Oahu it is a really fun day to spend and have you been there I actually have not I've spent very little time on Oahu like I I don't I, I moved to a giant city and yeah. I don't like big cities so yeah. like I didn't go to Oahu because it was a big city yeah. um Polynesian Cultural Center is on the north side so you have to drive about like yeah. an hour or hour and a half from uh, Honolulu but it's really cool because like for less than the price of the luau at your hotel, if you're staying in Waikiki, you can go for a day at the Polynesian Cultural Center and meet people from every place in Polynesia. There's people from Samoa and Tahiti and Aitoroa, and it's really cool. And then you get like two luaus and dinner. <laughs> so anyone planning a trip to Hawaii when the world is better, I recommend the Polynesian right Cultural now. Center. Please don't go right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm going anywhere right now. Um, but when you do, when it's all better, the Polynesian yeah. Cultural Center is a really cool place. And the Bishop Museum. The Bishop Museum is amazing. Where is that? Is it in it's the- in it's in Honolulu and it's um I, I don't remember the history correctly, but I believe that it's connected to the royal family, but it's it's a collection of artifacts. Um and they have it's 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 very very well done. Um, they have like kind of natural history stuff in there too, um, but they do have some pretty amazing artifacts from all throughout the islands that weave in the history and some beautiful paintings of uh, historical volcanic activity as well. Which is why I went to just go stare at the paintings. So it's it's that one is a really good one too. So you are not just a geologist. One of your focuses is volcanoes, correct? Yeah. Yes. Which I am is. A- <laughs> which is where kind of the volcanic elements is very much where 
um, Moana kind of touches on Hawaii and their connection with the volcano. Um, can you talk about Hawaii and its amazing goddess of volcanoes, who yes, I love I, so much? One of my, you know, one of our favorites here in the household. So um, Hawaii Island is the current location of the um, Hawaii Emperor Seamount hotspot chain. So this is a chain of islands that actually goes all the way up to Alaska. Uh, it is formed by basically a hot plume of material from the mantle coming up and um, melting through the Pacific plate. So as the plate travels over that plume, the islands will move away from the current volcanism. So as you go away from Hawaii, as you go north, they all get older. So you'll see that they also all get smaller because they're being eroded. So the current volcanoes in Hawaii would be Kilauea, which is the one that's currently erupting, Mauna Loa, which is the largest um, mountain, if you yeah. go from this on the yeah, planet. It's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hualalai, which last erupted in about 1800. And then Loihi, which is offshore. So we actually have four active volcanoes on Hawaii Island. Um, Mauna Kea and Kohala are both extinct. And Maui has um, um, Haleakala, which I think we think could still potentially have an eruption. It's not quite extinct, but it's on its way to being extinct. Yeah. And there is, what's the distinction between like extinct and dormant? Um, is there like a time frame or, because it's not like you guys can like go under the mountain no. and like see if there's lava there. That seems dangerous. I mean, usually if it's extinct, it's, we don't think it's going to have another eruption, but Haleakala did have an eruption in, I think, the 1790s? I'm guessing. I'm thinking about that time frame, though. Um, so it has erupted in historical memory, which we usually would not consider for an extinct volcano. So because it's a historically active volcano, it's still on the list, but it's very low down on the uh, what we think is going to erupt soon list. <laughs> And the volcanoes of Hawaii are part of, you know, the so-called Ring of Fire. I'm here in the Pacific Northwest, and so we've got, like, Mount Hood, Mount St. Helens, Mount Rainier, which, if that one explodes, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but they're still, they're on, like, the same, they are on the same fault line or vein of lava, like, so, how does that? Okay, so um, Hawaii is kind of special, It's it's so it's a hot spot volcano. Uh, the majority of volcanoes are going to occur along subduction zones. So this is where an oceanic plate is either don't, diving down underneath another oceanic plate or a continental plate. So the ring of fire is basically the edges of the Pacific plate. So as the Pacific plate gets older, it sinks down into the mantle and that material sinking down will introduce water into the mantle, which then partially melts it and creates volcanoes. So the classic ring of fire is basically all the volcanoes around the edges of the Pacific plate. And Hawaii okay. is in the middle of the Pacific plate. So um, different mechanisms, but all tied in by being around the Pacific plate. Okay, cool. That was really, I'm still learning so much. It's so much fun. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't want any of these mountains near me to erupt in my lifetime. <laughs> I just, you know, I know if Mount Rainier goes, then like most of Tacoma will liquefy. And I mean, I went to well, college in Tacoma, mean, so that might be an upgrade for Tacoma for most of it. But Mount Rainier, I think the big hazard is actually the mud flows coming off the volcano. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm not, I was not alive when Mount St. Helens erupted, but most of my parents were. And, you know, just the stories that they told about, you know, ashes, you know, an inch of ash on their car and, 
that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, I'm but, like, oh yes, Ash, did they say any? <laughs> I don't think so, but you know, that's uh, one of our uh, favorite places is um, Crater Lake, which is a much, much, much older volcano. Oh yeah, but that was the- pretty spectacular. And the ash from that eruption, like you can find it, you know, like people are able to date that ash like really far back when they find it and if they dig down, right? Yeah, so you can still find it in the Pacific Northwest. You can you can find it up in Bellingham um, mm-hmm. on the border to Canada. Uh, it's a pretty thin layer up there, but yeah, you still see it. So it's, it's like a very well-known layer. So mm-hmm. you basically can say like, if it's above it, it's after that. If it's below it, it's before that. So it's a really good reference layer when you're doing yeah. um, any kind of dating in the region. So the volcanoes are awesome. And it is completely makes sense to me that human beings have looked at those and found divinity in the volcanoes. They are such a great representation of like the power of nature. Yeah, And I love how that is represented in Moana as both Tefiti and Teka, where we have this duality of nature as a creative force and also a destructive force. And the volcano really is something that creates as it destroys. Yes. Yeah, so in, in Hawaii, we have Pele. And um, I mean, I'm not like a, a cultural <laughs> practitioner or anything. So I can just give you my, my understanding of Pele. So when I moved to Hawaii, I guess I didn't quite fully understand Pele. And I went to an amazing talk um, that was hosted by uh, one of the colleagues at the Hawaii Volcano Observatory, uh, talking about using the old Hawaiian chants about Pele to kind of look at eruption histories. So in Hawaii, Pele isn't the goddess of the volcano. She is, is the a volcano. Yeah. So the correct usage in a sentence would be you replace the word lava or magma with Pele. That would be the correct usage. So when you say Pele is traveling down the rift zone, what you mean is literally there is magma in the rift zone traveling down the rift zone, right? So um, the I would say that in the West, we tend to have this idea of being gods and goddesses of something, whereas in Hawaii, they are physically that thing. So when I go to the volcano and I say hi to Pele, I do that when I can see lava <laughs> because that is Pele. So yeah. I really liked how they had that in the movie. They had these characters. So like the ocean is a character as well, um, where it is the physical thing as well, because I think that that's a big distinction um, that I didn't quite fully appreciate when I first moved to Hawaii is that it's not, Pele is not the goddess of the volcano. She is physically the magma and lava of the volcano. Yeah. And, you know, Teka is not Pele. She is sort of her own creation for this movie, but I do like that she is, she is the lava. It's such a wonderfully, you know, illustrated and uh, animated character. How do you like personally, as like a pagan and a geologist, like, and if this is too personal, don't worry, I can just, like, do you have a feeling when you're looking at a volcano or the earth, like, does it have a personality or a spirit that you personally relate to? Oh, volcanoes have so much personality. Yeah. 
They are amazing. The, it's, it's really interesting because we have a basic understanding of how volcanoes work and we understand kind of how things will follow. But what you find through experience is the people that are best able to anticipate what a volcano is gonna do are the ones that know them really well. So the ones that have spent the most time with that volcano. So, you know, in Hawaii, there are people that have worked on the volcanoes for you know, 30, 40, 50 years, and they know those volcanoes like nobody else. And they, they basically are the ones I trust. You know, it's like, what does so-and-so say is going to happen? That's who I'm going to trust because they know the volcano. And the same thing goes with the volcanoes in Indonesia. Um, I work in Indonesia a lot now, and I put a lot of trust in the people who are actually at the volcano and know it really well because... Yeah, they, they have personality. So, you know, kind of like you kind of can understand what drives human beings, but every individual human is different. I would say the same thing for volcanoes. So in that way, I feel like my two a halves are kind of combined in that mm -hmm. when I work on a volcano, I'm trying to get to know it personally to kind of understand how it ticks, what its motivations are, um, to kind of help anticipate what's going to happen. When you think about volcanoes, it's very much like thinking, I mean, to think of a volcano as a deity or a spirit, I think that makes it make more sense to me because that makes you have so much respect and honor for the awesome power of nature and of these huge things that could just wipe you out in a second, which is somehow, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is somehow, you know, what our relationship to spirit and divinity is. You forget sometimes when you have you know a personal relationship with spirit how big and awesome like literally the, the full meaning of awesome these yes. forces can be whether it's nature or spirit or any of these things and something that they included in Moana is this kind of tradition of talk story so it's where you tell you know the movie starts out this way with the talk story session so telling stories as a way of teaching and um, we have this church in Hawaii that's alive and well. And when you live there, you start to, you know, have these talk story sessions about Pele. And so the people that have lived there a really long time are incredibly accepting of something like a lava flow inundating their entire neighborhood. You know, to them, it's, it's Pele, it's Pele's land. She goes where she wants and, you know, you just move out of the way. Yeah. And I found that the people I know who were the most traumatized by the recent eruption in the Lower East Rift Zone are the ones that had lived there the shortest amount of time. Um, you also saw this a lot in the community meetings where there were kind of people who wanted, who wanted to know what you could do to save your house. Like, can you divert the lava? Can you make it go somewhere else? Can you stop it? And, you know, the people that kind of were really tied into the community or who are, are Hawaiian, they were like, no, it's Pele. Pele goes where she wants you know, it's her island. We're lucky to live here. We move out of the way. Yeah. Then it's such like a white colonist sort of point of view is like, how do I divert the lava? Right. Yeah. How do I yeah. like change? Like, no, you, you don't. You, you don't. don't. Like you move. It is not your yeah. land. It is not your space. You are occupying the space literally by the grace of the goddess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, and even on a practical scale, if you divert the lava from your house and it hits your neighbor's house, are you yeah. like, your neighbor's house like it becomes very sketchy in terms of insurance if you do that too <laughs> yeah that's not a great yeah you would live, that would not be a very neighborly thing to no. do oh boy and you know we just had in um the fall we had some devastating wildfires here in Oregon 
And I heard you, I think on your podcast, uh, either on your podcast or was it New World Witchery you were on? Yeah, it was on that one. You're talking about, you said that about where Pele goes where she wants. And I listened to that as I was dealing with these, like literally the sky was red. And it was that same thing where like, this is this awesome force of nature that is not, you know, the gods and the spirits of nature are not always gentle. Usually they're not. And we have to, you know, sometimes get out of the way and we cannot, you know, control this. We have to be respectful of it. and cognizant of the way we're harming the planet that is making these things worse which I know that's something you're very passionate about (laughs) yes but you know and and that's sort of the uh more one of the morals of Moana is what happens with when somebody when humans or a demigod presumes to take that power away from nature yeah that's that's what causes you know the initial original sin of Maui stealing the heart the heart is he wants to give this power to humans or steal it. And it's not a power that belongs to us. Right. Yeah. And that is, yeah, that is a really powerful message. And um, I mean, that is something I think that we, I, I hesitate to say it because I think that it's not something that's unique to us as a species, but we tend to think of ourselves as like the shit, like humans are the best, obviously. And we're on top of the world. Yeah. Um, I'm sure some other I, cats also think I'm, that. I'm sure yeah. cats think that too, right? So <laughs> I think it's difficult for us to accept that we're not the most powerful. And um, I think it is important to be reminded that we are simply just a species that has evolved on this planet. And we're a pretty cool species. But the got planet... Thumbs. Yeah. Got thumbs and shit. Yeah. Um, planet is much older and it's been you know things have evolved and changed and the planet will keep ticking on without us so it doesn't really care if it's habitable for us or not like it just does its own thing so um i think that that is a lesson we are learning the hard way currently uh, and i hope time (laughs) yeah and it is a hard lesson to learn like and it's understanding what you can and can't control in your life and in your spiritual practice is one of the hardest lessons to learn because, you know, whether or not you're doing magic or trying to, you know, do your own work, there's stuff you cannot control and stuff you're not meant to control and the universe and the world's going to do what it wants. Sometimes you can, you can put a rock in the stream and maybe divert the flow somehow, but you, we're not big enough to build a dam and make the stream go away. I don't know if that metaphor worked. Can't move the lava. That's a good one. It will go somewhere else. Yeah. We cannot make the water stop being. Yeah. But one of the things I know you're working on um, is about ethical, uh, you know, ethical crystal mining. Yes. And Maui, I think, definitely was not ethical in the way that he got (laughs) the uh, rock at the heart Sorry, that was a pun I didn't even mean to make at the heart of this movie. So he was, you know, the original non-ethical miner getting that crystal. So very good lesson for why you shouldn't steal from the earth without being ethical at least. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm 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 looking a lot at kind of the the different ways kind of you know, because I work in geology, I have experience in the extraction industry. And I have a lot of friends that work in the extraction industry and mining. 
And, you know, I know that it's a very complex issue. Um, and I think that we either don't think about it or we just think it's all bad. And so <laughs> I would really like to start kind of having that conversation about kind of responsible ways of mining, because we're not going to stop mining. It, it just, yeah. it happens. Um, Hawaii is actually a really interesting case because they have a blanket ban on um, export. So where most places you have, you'll see a lot of mining for things like gravels and sands and stuff like that, that go to export. Hawaii, they don't export the rocks. Mm -hmm. So all the stuff that's mined in Hawaii is used in Hawaii. Um, and when I say mined, I mean like gravel and sands and, you know, basalt. Um, and so it kind of that culture of respect, I think really kind of has actually shows up in the laws in Hawaii as well. Um, also, it's a very, they're small islands. So, you know, if you take too many rocks away, they're going <laughs> to just. Yeah. Um, I live next to a gravel mine. It's about like a mile away. So once a week, uh, my my house is rocked by a small explosion because they're <gasps> blasting for gravel. So I'm, I'm kind of anti-gravel mining down my street. It is also a gun range at the same time as being a gravel mine. So oh, huh? <laughs> yeah, That's it's great. Yeah, some strange, strange noises in my neighborhood, but it's nice. <laughs> but um, so what kind of, do you think that the Heart of Tafiti, do you have any idea what kind of rock it was? I know in the Maori culture, the nephrite jade, especially with yeah. those spiral patterns, is really a, a precious thing. And so I know jade is, and that jade is not the same as the jade we get in China. Is that correct? Am I saying that the nephrite jade is different than the lighter I kind of jade you see in China? I think so. Yeah. I, there's, there's two different minerals that make up jade um, mm -hmm. from my memory, I think. And yeah, so the one in, in New Zealand is, is kind of like specific to that location and it is very important. Uh, I don't really know that much about the significance of jade in Maori culture because we don't have jade in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. We just have basalt. So, um, you know, that's part of it. Part of the movie that was kind of like, that's obviously a different island that they yeah, got that. That's from. very much a New Zealand Aotearoa. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I, I assumed that that was a piece of jade. Mm -hmm. And jade, you know, it is not just in New Zealand. Like there's jade, there's versions of jade. You know, jade is right. incredibly important to in China. Right, um, and I'm currently wearing a piece of jade from Taiwan, um, and then one of the really big areas that they mine jade currently is also in Myanmar right mm -hmm. now. So there's, there's a lot of jade mining in Myanmar currently. There's also a type of jade that is found in like British Columbia. I just know this because I've seen it uh, on yeah. sale there. That is, and it is much, it's also kind of that darker. Kind of, and but I don't know if it's actually jade or they just call it like Canadian jade. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, jade is, like I said, it's, it's kind of like a descriptive term. I think yeah, it's, it's not, not really a technical term. And I know, I know what unit you're talking about. Yeah. And I don't remember. I think, I think it's a, a serpentine. So I think it's, it's an altered olivine. I think is okay. what that, if I'm remembering correctly, I totally don't. I like, this is reaching way back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so is there like, you know, I know for, you know, there's international bodies that decide like what a planet is named or what a star is named. Is there like any like international body that decides like 
here's a scientific definition of jade or these things or because it varies so much culturally we can, yeah so I think, it's like a mineral or a crystal can right so mud, muddy so there's 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 definitely an international body that regulates the mineral names um and so the actual mineral name is um kind of i would say controlled uh something like a gem name is a little bit more loosey-goosey um, it's not kind of an official name. So it's kind of like a common name versus a scientific name in biology. So uh, you can think of the mineral name as the scientific name. And then like something like Jade would be kind of like the common name. So something that has a long history in terms of human history, something like Jade, it's going to be more based on historical kind of um, precedent, what it's what's called what as opposed to what the actual mineral is. But a lot of times you'll see uh, if you're searching for specific types of jade, it will say what the mineral is for that specific one. And there are multiple different minerals that are called jade. So you talked about lava and Hawaii and like, there are no like crystals that come from lava unless it's, I guess, obsidian or so, so what's there, the difference between all those different kinds Okay, of yeah, that's, that's maybe a good yeah. thing to talk about. So, so um, in terms of terms, you know, we have magma and lava. Magma mm -hmm. is underground. Lava is reached the surface. That I know. So, yes. uh, yeah, so as soon mm -hmm. as magma erupts at the surface, it's called lava. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, most, so something like Hawaii has a really runny magma. Um, and so gases can escape very easily. Uh, in a magma, you will start to have crystallization of different minerals. Um, they kind of differentiate, they, some crystallize first than others do. And depending on how long and how slowly it cools, you'll get different sizes of crystals. So in basalt in Hawaii, we tend to have kind of very fine grained crystals. So you don't see a lot of individual crystals, but they are there. It is it's a crystalline um, okay. rock. Uh, they're just very small. You do also get these kind of pockets of rocks that are from deeper. So these are called mantle xenoliths. So xenolith is basically a chunk of another rock that's included. And these will have a lot of olivine in them. So you'll see these, there are some deposits that have these kind of like kind of eggs of large bits of olivine. And so these are rocks that have crystallized much deeper and those chunks are brought up. We do also have flows that cool very slowly and have kind of large olivines in them as well. Um, an obsidian is a glass. So it's defined as having no crystals. So basically you take something and it's completely molten and then you freeze it very quickly. And so it has no time to form any crystals at all. And that is what an obsidian is, is basically just a glass. It's called a glass. It's basically just magma, that has been frozen before and, it's had time to form any crystals. So is that like when it hits the water or when it hits the air or, or magma yeah, so, before it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, sometimes it erupts and will form an obsidian and, you know, it's, it's kind of really special cases that you get it, but you do get these kind of volcanic glass, usually on like a fresh lava flow. You'll see it on the surface. It's the really shiny surface. The edges of ash are the edges of bubbles, and those tend to be glass as well because they don't, they, it's not thick enough to really have much in terms of crystals. So you do get volcanic glass in all of these different um, places, but it also tends to erode really easily. So it's kind of the yeah. first thing that goes is kind of that glassy surface. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Hawaii and I, you see the 
the uh, is it called like Pele's hair? Yeah, where it's like these. It's very like it's almost like coral. It's a very kind of porous um, stone. Oh no, oh. you're thinking you're thinking of the the scoria. So okay. um, the, or the Pele's hair is something different. Yeah, Pele's hair is basically these really long strands. So it's it's basically okay. it looks just like hair. Okay, and in large piles, it's Pele is basically blonde. Um, uh, it's amazing. It looks like it looks like wheat fields uh, mm-hmm. underneath the plume. It's really cool. Uh, but yeah, so the reticulite um, are these specific ones where you have all the bubbles get trapped in it, mm-hmm. and then it cools quickly, so you have the glass on the edge of all the bubbles. So different lava flows are going to have different amounts of gases that are in them, and so how well those gases escape or how much is trapped inside will kind of give you a range of this vesicle sizes. So this would be the bubbles within it. Um, so you get different ranges of bubbles. So you get some like pumice stone that have tons of bubbles, and then you can get some that are very solid that don't really have bubbles in them at all. And that also really tells you a lot about the strength of the unit. And so there are some flows in Hawaii that have like no bubbles at all. And they're really, really dense, hard rock. And those are the ones that are mostly used for tools. Oh, so cool. <laughs> is it a true, is like the superstition or the myth about like you should not take stones from Hawaii because you will be cursed and anger Pele? Is that something that was made up by National Park Service so people would stop stealing rocks or was it based in actual, <laughs> or do we I not mean, really know? I mean, you don't really want to piss hard. off Pele. That, one, that one's really hard because it is <laughs> a pretty commonly held belief by people in Hawaii. Um, mm-hmm. But also I did hear a story that it was imported from Yosemite by the National Park. But what I would say is you shouldn't just take rocks in general without having that amount of respect. I ask every time I take a rock, you know, I mean, I, I work on the volcano. Um, I work on the volcanoes. So I am very conscious of that. There are lots and lots of stories of people mailing rocks back with letters to the national park, um, to volcano, the actual town. And there, I think before they remodeled, they had a giant pile outside the Hawaiian volcano observatory, but people will send the wrong rock a lot. (laughs) And I actually found a rock that is not basalt, like very obviously not basalt. It was a piece of like limestone deep in Haleakala. And so I brought it back out to the, like the edge of the trail because it doesn't belong there, right? It's it's basically like, it, this does not belong. This rock does not belong here. So I brought it to the edge of the trail to kind of leave it at the edge of the trail. So it was still there, but not like way out, you know, in a prominent place in the in the crater. And I had a national park guy like come up and I had this big rock in my hand and he was like, ah, I've caught someone. And I was like, hi, uh, I'm a geologist. This is not basalt and it did not belong out there. And I'm going to go put it up by the trailhead when I get there. And he was like, oh man, it's the first time I caught someone and it- <laughs> so obsidian is not so there's a lot of things that we call like you get like crystal shops and stuff that are marketed as crystals that are not technically crystal like so obsidian is not technically a crystal crystal glasses are not crystals (laughs) yeah (laughs) because it doesn't because crystal is like it has a repeating molecular regular structure right? right so so a crystal is basically an individual specimen of a mineral is kind of the technical term for it. Um, And there are a lot of things that are sold with, I would call them crystal names that are rocks 
or um, mineraloids, so not even a technically a mineral. So a mineral has to have a very defined chemical composition and structure. So um, there are things that don't have that and they also have to be non-organic. So there are also organic things that are sold as crystals. So something like, I'm trying to think of the- Pearls are, I mean, those pearls, are yeah, yeah. Right. So pearls are organic. Um, something like, I believe jet is the crystal name for it. It's um, an actually a really high grade form of coal. So mm -hmm. it's, it's carbon basically. Um, is opal a crystal? Do you know? No, because it doesn't have a defined structure. Yeah. That's so why opal is so interesting to me because it's so much lighter. Yeah, so it's it's silica, but it's it's a mineraloid. So it's, okay. it's mineral adjacent, but it's not technically a mineral. Yeah, I have like a bunch, I have, which was people love to help me move because I have huge boxes of rocks. I have like a hematite, which is, you know, so heavy. And then I have like a beautiful piece of like pink opal that's just so light. And it's so cool to just like feel the difference of these two rocks that are the same volume, but they're much different density. And it's very cool to me. When I lived in Alaska, I hiked out a piece of um, pyrite that was as big as my head over tundra for like five miles. Oh my. And my master's advisor was like, you're not really taking that rock out. And I was like, I am totally taking this rock out. And he goes, you are going to regret this like halfway. And I got, I was very stubborn and I made it all the way to the car. And then I was like, now I can't walk, <laughs> but I have that rock. Yeah. I've been, we yeah. have a friends uh, who have a cabin down in the Sierra. And so like we brought home like a piece of granite. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, Oh yeah, the beautiful like the quartz and granite we found up there is like really special, and it's not like you know perfect crystals, but it's you know important emotionally. Yeah. So back to Moana. <laughs> I mean, I love Moana because it is about that connection to home, but also that search for knowledge and finding yourself and finding yourself along the way in the journey. It's about finding your ancestors, which I think, you know, the way Moana talks about connecting with your ancestors, something that I just see a lot of actually being discussed more and more in the greater like pagan community, which wasn't there when I kind of started out, you right. know, the witchy, well, the internet wasn't there when I started out, which makes me feel old, <laughs> but ancestor work and connecting with that seems like to be such a big theme, especially right now as we're going through a pandemic and dealing right. with so much trauma. I'm a girl who loves my island and the girl who loves the sea It calls me I am the daughter of the village chief We are descended from voyagers who found their way across the world They call me I've delivered us to where we are I have journeyed farther I am everything I've learned and more Still it calls me And the call isn't out there at all It's inside me It's like the tide Always falling and rising I will carry you here with my heart So can we talk about 
how that relates to what we're doing with right now. Yeah, so I, I really like, so I think with the grandmother, they were alluding to this term in Hawaii that's called um, someone's amakua, which mm -hmm. is kind of like a expression of your ancestors. And from my understanding, it's basically how your family history, your, your ancestry interacts with the physical world. So uh, a specific family will have a specific amakua. So, you know, theirs would have been the manta ray, their family amakua. Um, and it wouldn't have been just specific to the grandmother. It would be for the whole family. And so you, a lot of the times you hit, it's like a common joke in Hawaii is like, if you go surfing and someone's like, oh, you know, this uh, one tiger shark out in the bay. And they'd be like, oh, no worries, my amakua. You know, the, the idea is that you have a special connection with that type of animal because your ancestors work through that type of animal. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a common joke in Hawaii is, is like, you know, I'm going surfing, there's sharks. Oh, no worries, my amakua. Um, it's grandma, she won't bite me. These, yeah, you do hear a lot of these stories. And my Hawaiian friends all have stories about their amakua. Um, so one of the common themes is like being able to whistle in fish or, or sing in fish because that particular type of fish is your family's amakua. So you have a connection with them. Um, and it can either, and it can be something non-physical. I have one friend who says, you know, her family amakua is Mauna Kea, the mountain itself. Um, so it doesn't have to be animals, but it is usually animals. From my experience, a lot of people have animal amakuas. Can you pronounce the name of the Hawaiian state fish that the, the trigger fish with the? Oh, you mean Ohumuhumu Nukunukuapua'a? Yes, that one. I love that word. I can't say it. I, I volunteered at a, um, so when I was in Hawaii, I volunteered a lot at one of the bays uh, to do community outreach and to do citizen science and kind of educate tourists as they were there. And we had a humuhumu who definitely was very aggressive. And we had one woman come in at one point and be like, what is the fish that tried to kiss me? He went, mm. and we were like, no, no, honey, we're trying to bite you. <laughs> that one's a troublemaker and he was definitely trying to bite you. Now that fish is associated with a deity, um, who's who the rain god, correct? Like he turned into it, running away from Pele. It's one of the stories I'm remembering. I I don't know that story. Sorry. I should have brought it. I have a book of Pele stories that like I got in Hawaii when I was like ten years old, and it's got that famous painting of Pele oh, where yeah. her hair is the lava, and it's got inside is this beautiful, like it's a mural that's I think at the volcano center or somewhere, but it's got all these different, it's, just, it's got Pele with like three faces and all the different kinds of lava, which all have different names. And then it's got like mm -hmm. Paliahua, who's her, the snow goddess. And then a God who I think is related to Maui, but he's basically the God of the rain and he turns into the yeah. boar and he turns into the human. And Hi there, this is Editor Jessica stepping in because I did do my research on this after the fact. The deity I'm thinking of, his name is Kamapua. He is sort of a demigod. He's not quite a... Hawaii's got a lot of different levels of deities and gods. So, But he is a hogman fertility god of rain and he can turn into a wild boar. And he's um, the son of Hina and Kahikiuala. 
the chief of Oahu. And so he is associated with Oahu, but also with Maui because it's a very rainy place. And he is best known for trying to like get horny with Pele and her tracing him away and turning into a fish to get away from her. So she is a great, but he is sort of a symbol of fertility and persistence and the life of giving force of rain and things that are growing kind of sometimes triumphing over Pele eventually because things will eventually grow out of the lava. So that's the story of Kamapua. Um, He's involved in one of my favorite stories about Pele and her friend. Uh, He was basically being a, he's a boar. He was being very boorish and trying to seduce them. And so her friend distracted him with my, this is my favorite weird thing. She had a detachable vagina and (laughs) she just threw it. It was like, fetch boy. <laughs> and there's a place in Maui where there's like the imprint of it. <laughs> where they're right. Like, yeah. So that story might be from another island. Okay. Yeah. So I think all the islands have kind of slightly different stories. Um, mm-hmm. I did have written down to tell you there's a Maui story from the big island. Oh yeah. So go ahead. If you go, to, if you go to Hilo, there's this place called Coconut Island. And it's, it's basically in the bay. There's a little um, bridge out to it. And the story was, is that Maui was trying to pull, sorry, computer. <laughs> Maui was trying to pull all the islands together. And so he hooked all of the islands and he was pulling them in his canoe and they said, you can't look back. And so they were going and going and going, they were paddling, they were bringing the islands together and one person in his canoe looked back and the line snapped and a little piece of Maui stuck. And that's what's in Hilo Bay. Oh, I love that. And so the island Maui, What's the connection between the island Maui and the god or demigod Maui? Because I am not clear on that. We don't know. <laughs> I am not I'm clear on Wikipedia. that. In, um, mm-hmm. it, the demigod is referred to as Maui in Hawaii, um, mm-hmm. but I don't actually know the connection with the island of Maui. Well, he's, you're, you're welcome. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love the way that they tell the mythology in the You're Welcome song. And how oh, it's amazing. Although, I mean, like, I feel so bad for him being on the island for like a thousand years. I know. It's like, that's a long time. Um, and we have, of course, Hey Hey the Chicken, um, who is a most relatable character, I think, who's because I just wake up and scream every morning. <laughs> I love that chicken. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love chickens. So, yeah. I mean, I was, I have a Hey Hey that's in my office because, like, I just, I love chickens. <laughs> Someone who wanted me to suffer got like a hey, hey doll for my daughter that just like screamed. That doll somehow disappeared. Uh, don't know where it went. Just never came. It just somehow one day it was gone. But you, so there are some. I was going to say, one of the things I found really interesting um, was when, you know, Moana is packing, you know, her boat. There are a lot of plants and animals that actually are brought through all of Polynesia on the canoes. And they're called the canoe plants. And chickens are one of those things. They're, they're, they're one of the canoe plants uh, and animals that were brought. Um, and chickens actually originate from Southeast Asia. So they originated as the red jungle fowl in Southeast Asia, which is where I live now. So we have like the ur chickens here. And the ones in Hawaii are very closely related in terms of um, being not that distant removed from the red jungle fowl. Do they taste different or do they taste like chicken? I mean, they taste like chicken, but also Indonesians make the best fried chicken. Like, I will fight you. They've been doing it for a long time and it is amazing. 
I think you go to Indonesia and have some fried chicken, man. It's so good. <laughs> they're different. They're lankier. So they don't yeah. have like the really big ones that we have. They're, they're much leaner chickens. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like Chinese duck tastes different than like wild duck. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it's cooked much better. <laughs> um, so do you have like a favorite part of Moana that like makes you cry or makes you laugh or? I mean, the whole thing makes me cry, but I think one of the things I really like about kind of the beginning of Moana is it really shows this, um, the system of kind of using of the land. Mm -hmm. So um, Hawaii Island used to have, I think we are almost now approaching the population that was on the island pre-contact and it was completely self-sufficient. So they had this, this land use system called the Aapua'as and there basically they go from the mountain to the sea and you have a system where you have these gardens at different levels. So you're growing different crops at different levels. Um, you're using different parts of that division for different purposes. Um, and then you're also using that section of the sea. So most of Hawaii Island is divided into these aapuas and actually all the islands. Some of them have plaques up and you can see when you're going in between them, but not the whole island. I think they have them in some places on Oahu too, but um, so I really enjoyed kind of seeing that where they had the grove for the coconuts. They had, you know, you could see up on the hillside, they had kind of more of the taro patches. And then you have kind of the fishing out in the sea. So I really liked the way that they represented that as that kind of system of um, self-sufficient, you know, yeah. land use. And I, I really liked that they had that detail of that. Like, you know, there was very clearly a single apua on that island and the whole system in there. And so I thought they did a really good job of representing kind of how things were used and how you can take kind of this, you know, there's not, Hawaii is is very slow in terms of having new species. So, you know, it's not somewhere that has a lot of different plants and, you know, it's, it's the plants that were used, they use a lot of different parts. Yeah. So Consider the it, coconut. Exactly. <laughs> they right? use every part of it. Yeah. Right. So there, there are a lot other plants that they use lots of different parts of as well. But, you know, it, it was kind of, I liked that representation to kind of show that, you know, they didn't have big forests. So you can't make things out of wood. You know, you, you have only one type of stone, so it's hard to make stone tools. And so you're kind of using what you have to get the things that you need. And so I really enjoyed kind of that representation of that system in the beginning of the movie. I, one of the things that I appreciate about Moana as a music major and as like, and I was an opera singer before I was a lawyer, before I was a writer. Um, I love Disney musicals, but most Disney musicals kind of peter out on their musical nests before the finale. Like if you look at Frozen, like the last song that they sing in Frozen is this stupid troll song I hate. Like there's no big finale song in like most Disney movies. Like the finale is an action thing. And the thing I love about Moana, and I think this might have been influence of Lin-Manuel Miranda on the soundtrack, is that the big finale is sung. And yeah. it is like, it is a musical thing where it is not a big fight. It is a musical moment where she's singing to Te Fiti and Te Ka. And that's really unique in Disney movies up yeah. until this point. Like even Frozen 2 doesn't really have a big musical finale. And so I love that there is a moment where her power does not come from fighting. It comes from her compassion and her curiosity. And I think I'm sure as a scientist, you 
love how she, you know, uses both her faith and her, you know, curiosity, even her basically scientific or mechanical curiosity about sailing to, you know, save the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that ending scene um, does make me cry a lot because there's oh, one yeah. detail in there that like it it absolutely stood out to me. So the in Hawaiian the word ha is like the breath of life, and um, one of the things that you do to greet people is you put forehead to forehead yeah. and breathe. And that moment where she does that with Taka and you know it's it's like recognizing it, it's mm -hmm. it's it's something that I've I've done only a few times. Um, when I've had the, the privilege of working with traditional practitioners and it's so powerful to do. And it was, it's just such a powerful moment in that movie for me, because, you know, I know how, you know, how huge that is within the context, right? Like I, I know exactly what they're doing and I know like how powerful that moment can be. So I love that that was kind of the, the climax right there. Yeah, I love that they're, you know, you truly seeing someone that's a very, it's yeah. much more intimate than, you know, shaking someone's hand, you're looking yeah. into their eyes, and hopefully you brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I love that. And I love Tefiti. Um, she's just one of my favorite. There's not many goddesses on screen when you really think about it. You know? Yeah, and, that's true. But, you know, she's a beautiful depiction of, you know, the earth or creation and the way she's animated is so beautiful I love the animation in this movie overall they yeah. created a whole system to make the water work they had to like dial it back because at one point they're like it just looks like real water it's distracting <laughs> but yeah it is almost I would say this is probably a perfect movie I can't think of anything I would I love it so change much. about it um, I love that she doesn't have a love interest that's not important at all um I love that she is very cute as a baby um my daughter has a baby Moana doll that uh somehow uh basically through machinations of our her grandparents Nuss, baby Moana is alive and works with the fairies that live in our house <laughs> and so baby Moana will like move around when she's not looking and baby Moana has gone to all sorts of interesting places in her house and then most recently though baby Moana got up on some lights and accidentally kind of fell over onto a very hot light bulb and melted a little bit oh no so baby Moana now has this like kind of dent in her forehead but baby Moana um accidentally ate a chocolate cake that was on our counter that was about to go stale and then like sometime daughter came down in the morning baby Moana had eaten the chocolate cake and was just lying there with chocolate on her mouth so he's quite mischievous a lot like my daughter so where can people find you on the internet if they want to learn more about volcanoes and magic rocks and all your other insights and meditations <laughs> um so I have a podcast called Borealis Meditation um the name comes from when I actually started it when I lived in Alaska so been a lot of changes since then. Uh, but that is on basically, it should be on everywhere you find podcasts, basically, I think. I think I got them all. Um, and then I am at Cat Borealis on both Twitter and Instagram. And I have a website, catborealis.com, which kind of collects everything together. Thank you so much for talking about Moana. Hopefully we'll have you on again to talk about 
you know, next time we have a Rocky or yes, geological great. movie to talk about. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This you. is a lot of fun. And there we have it. Thank you so much for tuning in for this very cool talk about Moana and Maui and volcanoes and rocks. I did do some research also into the myths of Maui. There are thousands of them across all of Polynesia, but the island of Maui is named after a person who was named after the demigod Maui, who was one of the original mythical founders of Hawaii. It's all very complicated. I did also find a great myth about the death of Maui. And it's such an interesting story that I just wanted to share it here at the end. So this is Maui's encounter with the great goddess Hine Nui Te Po. And this is a Maori legend, I believe, because she's a Maori goddess of basically death and immortality. And so Maui was a demigod. He was able to die. He wanted to obtain immortality and he was told to enter this goddess. And by enter, I mean go into her vagina. Um, he tried to do this while she slept. In some versions, he turned into a worm. In other words, versions, it was less shapeshiftery. So, but Hine Nui Tipo was warned of this or found out. And as Maui turned into a worm, squirming to enter the goddess, she punished him and she crushed him with the obsidian teeth in her vagina. And he was the first man to die. So that was the end of Maui. I just think that that's a great myth. It kind of even ties into the beginning of Moana and Maui, you know, entering Teka and Tefiti, stealing the power for life. Uh, it worked out better for Maui in the movie, I guess. <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. It reminds you to respect goddesses' vaginas or just respect vaginas in general. So, um, we'll be back in two weeks with another witchy episode. Hopefully we'll have a fun, loving, that's a clue, uh, episode for around Valentine's Day. Um, until then, I hope you stay safe out there. If you enjoyed the podcast, again, please subscribe, write us a review. We only have one review on iTunes and we need more. I would love to hear your reviews. I promise if you leave us a five-star review, I'll read it on the show. No one did it this week, but you know, there's always hope for next week. Tell your friends, follow us on Twitter under at RealMagicPod. As I said earlier in the show, if you have questions or comments or just want to say hi, you can email me at RealMagicPod at gmail.com and you can even like us on Facebook. If you like me and my work, I'm on Twitter under FangirlingJess and I'm always there writing on the Mary Sue about everything. And you just look up Jessica Mason on the Mary Sue. You'll find everything I write today. I got to write about Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer in the new Sandman. How cool is that? But um, until then, till next week, stay safe out there and you're welcome. Goodbye, cool. 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 Goodbye, cool.